Welcome to the e-commerce badassery podcast, the place for scrappy female entrepreneurs who want to learn actionable steps and strategies to grow the traffic, sales, and profit in your e-commerce business. I'm your host, Jessica Totillo Coster, a 20-year retail veteran who spent three years as the only employee of a seven-figure online store. That shit was crazy. I know exactly how it feels to do all the things, and I'm sharing everything I learned the hard way so you don't have to. I may have started this business by accident, but supporting badass bosses like you lights me the fuck up, and I am so stoked to see you grow. Are you ready, babe? Let's roll. Welcome back to the e-commerce badassery podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Totillo Coster. I'm bringing you another kick-ass guest to the show this week, Tracy Matthews. I first met Tracy somewhere around the internet and since have been a guest on her top-rated podcast, Thrive by Design, and even did a training for her group program, Flourish and Thrive Academy. A jewelry designer, visionary, entrepreneur, and mentor to creatives, Tracy has founded four companies over the last 25 years, including Creatives Rule the World and Flourish and Thrive Academy, where she helps people tap into their unique brand of creativity and impact to become better leaders, create financial freedom, and live more fulfilled and fun lives via courses, coaching, consulting, and retreats. She's been featured in top media outlets, including Entrepreneur, InStyle, Martha Stewart Weddings, The Today Show, Yahoo Finance, Online Marketing Made Easy, and Creative Live. The woman knows what she's talking about. And now she's released her first book, The Desired Brand Effect, which is what we're talking about today. It's the three-pillar methodology she created while struggling in her first business and the framework she uses to help her thousands of students build the business of their dreams. I'm so excited to have her on the show and sharing all of her wisdom with us. Let's dive right on in. Welcome to the show, Tracy. Thanks so much for having me, Jessica. It's awesome to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. Since we recorded on your podcast, I've been wanting to have you on the show. And now with the release of your new book, which we'll obviously talk more about, it seemed like the perfect time. So thank you for being here. Before we get into all the details of the book and your methodology, I'd love for you to give my listeners a brief background on your jewelry business and your background oh. and why we should listen to anything you have to say. <laughs> yeah, why should you listen to me? That's a great question. So I've been around for a long time. Most people are surprised because I look a little bit younger than I am. I always say that's because I don't have children. And um, But I've been a jewelry designer for over 25 years. And I say over 25 years because before I officially started a business, I was making jewelry and selling it on the side and doing all the things. And when the independent jewelry designer scene came out in the nineties and I had this mentor slash teacher who was like, you're talented. You should maybe consider doing something with this. I just went all in. I was like super excited to start a business. I was recently married, moved to San Francisco. I had no idea what I was doing. I was just like, I'm going to start a business and do this thing full time. And so (laughs) I did. And through the road and path of trial and error, I launched a jewelry company where my jewelry was sold in over 350 stores around the world. I had a ton of celebrity fans, lots of press, all the things you want. And then the inevitable happened. Like everything came crashing down when 2008 came around and we can explore as much as you want of that. I had to figure out a way to actually solving problems in my business or else I was going to have to go work for someone else. And that sounded like the most torturous thing in the world. (laughs) So that was sort of how the desire brand effect was born was actually to solve problems in my own business. And I eventually started teaching it to others and then turned it into a book. Oh, I love that so much. And I remember 2008 very, very well because the business that I was working for at the time went under. That was also because he was taking way too much money out of the business, but that's a conversation for another day. But I actually started my brick and mortar boutique right after that. So it was kind of a crazy time to start a business, but I think if you can kind of dial in what you're doing, which is a lot of what we're going to talk about today, 
you can succeed no matter what the economy is doing. And so that's why I think this is so cool. And I was lucky enough to get a little advanced copy of the book. So I was reading through it. And I really just love the way you kind of lay everything out and you make it so accessible. And one of the things that you talked about in it, and I just want to kind of put this out there in the beginning for anyone who's listening, who feels like, oh, I have this all dialed in. Maybe I don't need to listen, but you talk about how this is a like repeatable model that you're going to use at every single level in your business. So can you just kind of touch on that a little bit? Cause I don't want people to tune out feeling like they know it all already. Yes. This is so true because Here's the thing. It's like super easy to get lazy in business. Like all, I already know what my dream client is, or I already know who my customer is. We have our brand voice dialed in, or, you know, I know how to sell like all those things or yeah, I have systems in my business. Sure. Like all those are great. And as you grow in business, what your business needs is going to be completely different from zero to six figures, from six figures to $300,000, from $300,000 to 3 million. Like all of those milestones and markers in business require a very different structure and also a different way for you to look at it. But the one thing that stays consistent are the pillars of the desire brand effect. So even though the work is quite similar in the same, what you're actually doing in each of those pillars, which are creating desire, sharing desire, and scaling desire, and we'll go into that probably more later, is going to be like tweaked or slightly different based on where you are in business. So when you're first starting out, this is going to help you just like lay a strong foundation for everything that you're doing in business and give you structure and a container to get consistent, repeatable sales. When you're kind of in that like next bump where you're kind of going from low six figures to kind of mid six figures, this is where you get to kind of refine those processes and start finding more of the right kinds of people, start really dialing in your brand experience and your branding and the experience that people have with your brand and your systems, which allow you to get to that next level. And then when you're really scaling to a seven or a multiple seven-figure business, what becomes really important are the back-end processes that you have and the systems and structures, the team, the goals that you're setting, and how you're relating all the other aspects of the desired brand effect into your business. And so I like liking it to like going to college or at different phases in like an educational career. You learn the 100 level when you're first starting out. And then you learn the 200 level when you're like a sophomore. And then as you're a junior and senior, you're going on to 300, 400 level. And then if you really want to advance in your career, you start going into getting your MBA or the next steps. So there's always more that you can do. I don't want anyone to think like you do it once and it's done because what you'll start to see is when you have the problems in your business, like slow sales or your business starts to hit a plateau or you even get to a point where you're going backwards and your sales decline or something like that. These are all indicators that you need to refer back to the model, the desire brand effect to solve those problems. Got it. I love all of that. And it's such a good reminder. And I, <laughs> I love how real you are. Sometimes we just get lazy in business. Yeah, we all do that. Yeah. <laughs> Raising my hand too. We're on video, but yeah, that's definitely true. And I think, you know, every once in a while, we just need like a good kick in the pants to just remember that the business, it's not a right. It's a luxury. Like being a business owner is a luxury and it takes work to get it and maintain it and grow it and all that good stuff. So you already mentioned them, the four pillars of the desired brand effect creating, sharing, and scaling desire. So can you kind of give us the deets on those and kind of what falls under them? So creating desire is all about attracting the right people to your brand. And the three components of this are your brand assets. So this is anything physical that is used to represent your brand. So it might be your product, your packaging, your website, your promotional materials, line sheets, if you're selling wholesale, like all the things that you use to promote your brand. And we kind of throw pricing in there because it's kind of like an outlier weird thing. So how <laughs> you're pricing your product, like those kinds of things. Then there's your audience, which is obviously your dream client or the people that you want to sell to, but like the bigger audience that you sell to. So some people might consider this a target market, your social media followers, like your entire friends and family, professional peer network. Like that's all a potential audience for you to attract customers to your business. And then 
The third part of it is really your brand voice and your messaging. So this is all about how you talk to the world. And regardless of who you are, unless you're selling a widget that is really more about the product stuff. Like I think of a widget as like, you know, you go and buy like a special kind of screw that's going to hang something on the wall, but it would still need some sort of explanation. But anyone who's selling a physical product that's like in the jewelry luxury or like handmade space, those kinds of people, you need to be able to explain what you're doing and also have a personality for your brand. People don't buy the product just because they like it. They buy it because of so many other things, which is, which we describe in detail in the book. Sharing desire is really the primary experience of your customer. This is where you convert a prospect into a sale or a customer. And this includes like all of your sales and marketing activities, your customer experience. So this might be not just customer service, but it's front end, back end experience of the brand. So like, what are people experiencing before they buy and after they buy? And then all the revenue generating activities that you do. We made that one a specific pillar because I think a lot of times, one of the things people are like, oh, oh like... I felt like I have it in. And then creatives sometimes get like shy when it comes to promoting themselves. And you have to be doing that 75% of your time that you spend in your business or someone on your team has to be doing that 75% of your time. And when you're just starting out and you don't have a team, that person's going to be you, which is important to think about. Eventually you might have a sales team, which is like their job is to be promoting your brand. And then finally, scaling desire is all about business planning, goal setting, getting the right systems and automation in place, which I know you love because automation is like king, especially when it comes to marketing and then having the right support and support can be anything from working with a mentor or a coach. It could be just finding a peer group of people who understand your plight. I don't always recommend that because a lot of times people find these peer groups of people who are all in the same phase and they really have no idea what they're doing. So the best thing is to join a curated peer group with someone who's leading it, who has done what you're trying to do. I think this is really important to be following people who have already done what you're trying to do and have created the level of success that you want to create. Or this might also look like hiring a team eventually. So when all these things work together, what ends up happening is you end up creating financial security for yourself. If you think like an entrepreneur, I think most of us, one of our core values is freedom because we don't want to work for anyone else. We want to set our own schedule, be able to pick our kids up at school if you have kids or be able to go out to an appointment during the day or work at night or whatever it is. Like freedom, I think is, even though people don't necessarily cognitively think about that, I think it's an important key aspect. And it also creates, you know, especially for makers and creatives, I think a sense of accomplishment, knowing that your art is valued. Because I think most of us, unless we're like kind of in the selling a commodity or just like scaling an e-commerce business. We don't like aren't attached to the product. Most of us want to know that the people who are buying our products actually love those products because that becomes the key to it. And then there's a lot more, but those are the kind of the core aspects. But when you're doing everything right and things start to intersect, you know, with sharing desire and creating desire, you start seeing like consistent, predictable sales in your business. When you're not doing it right, this is where the problem solving comes in. Like if you're getting like roller coaster sales or you're in that feast or famine cycle, those are the two core pillars you need to look at. If you're getting a ton of repeat sales, you're probably doing the sharing desire piece and the scaling desire piece really well. They're integrating really well together because you're having people coming back and buying for a second time. Now, if your business starts to hit a plateau or you're always hunting for new customers, that's a problem that you need to identify in those two pillars. So it's probably that you need to refine your experience and how you're getting people to take that next step a second time or the systems automation and all the other things that you have in place. And then when creating desire and scaling desire are working together, you're going to see high profit margins, more impact with the work that you do, a bigger reach. And that's when you know when you're doing it right. But if you start to see your business maybe declining in sales or you see your customers kind of like passing on a season or skipping what you're doing, you're probably in a business backslide, which is the worst of all of them because that's the hardest to recover. And this is what I mean about getting lazy is sometimes when things are going along well, you can start to sit on your laurels. And this is what happened to me. And when things started backsliding a little bit in my business, I was like, oh, I just started throwing things at the problem instead of actually like digging in deep to figure out what the real issue was. 
And that led me into creating product, number one, that was not aligned with what I stood for as a brand. And secondly, it led me down a destructive path of not really looking at what was going on with the systems and the team part of my business, which was really the bigger issue of if I could have tightened those things up in the time when I was struggling, a lot of things would have been completely different for me. And I wouldn't have had to file for bankruptcy in 2008 and nine. And so that's the gist of the model. And it's important to be looking at all those things because you could experience any of those issues at any point in business. You could even experience those issues. Like if you had a $10 million company, it's just important to keep always looking at those things and improving them and making them better. Oh, I love all of that. And I hope you guys are all listening and taking notes because I know I am like, here's the thing we're talking about product-based businesses, but this is really the same for any business. This is really like those three main things that you need to kind of nail down. And I love when you're talking about the assets and the brand voice. And like you mentioned earlier, you did that in the beginning of your business. And so you feel like it's a one and done, but it's so not because your business has evolved. The market has evolved. If you are a maker, like your designs, right? Your style has evolved. You dialed that in so much more. And so what you created six months ago, a year ago, two years ago may not still be relevant today. So I think that's why it's kind of so important to come back to these all the time and see where you're at. It's like with email, with automation, you know, my favorite thing. I always say they're set it and forget it-ish. Like you still have to go back and check on them and are they working? And does the message still resonate with the people that you are, <laughs> you know, reaching today? <laughs> I'm raising my hand because I have something to say. And this is someone who has a seven figure business, seven plus figures. We have a huge community, all this stuff. One of our students messaged us the other day and she's like, I've been in your program for like five months and I just started getting the welcome sequence again. Like what's up? So the tech breaks sometimes and you have to update your automations. Like we're working on cleaning up a ton of the backend systems at Flourish and Thrive right now. And I will tell you, like, this has been a tough year for us dealing with the scaling desire piece, because we've had to change a lot of things after everything that's kind of gone on in the last two years with COVID and stuff like that. And some probably not wise choices that I made at the end of 2019. And so when I say that you're always revisiting it, like things were humming along for me at the end of 2019. And then a lot of things changed in the market and we had to do tons of pivots. And I've spent the last two years really reworking like the back end systems and processes in my business. And so I'm telling you that, like I've had this company for nine years, it doesn't end. Like you're always going back to it. Absolutely. I mean, I've already done it so many times just in the few years that I've been in e-commerce badassery and just switching CRMs and automating more of that. And it really is just kind of a never ending process. Do you find that there, like, if you think about the three pillars, that there is one that kind of stands out where people struggle with the most, or does it maybe line up to where they're at? in their business? Or is it just kind of like all three all the time? Well, in my community, because that's what I can speak to the most. And also this is because it resonates with me the most. The hardest is really the systems piece. Because here's the thing, there's a bunch of assessments out there, you know, that talk about like personality types and like what your strengths are. And there's this one that I really love. It's called Wealth Dynamics. And it talks about where you should be working in your business to create the most wealth. Well, I'm a star with a creator and a supporter wing, which means that like I should be in front of people most of the time promoting my business and putting the spotlight on other people who have been successful using our methodology. Like that's basically what that says. If I spend most of my time doing that, then things will be successful. So what becomes really hard is on the other side of the spectrum, which is all the steel and financial accumulator work, which is the systems, like developing plans and all those things that like, oh, I'm going to do it. But then you put it on the back burner forever. And you're like, oh, shoot, like I should really have a system for this because it's really hard to hire people if you can't train them and you need help. And so most of the people that I think are typically in the maker designer 
And I don't want to say in general product business space, because I think that there's different kinds of people who come into an e-commerce business. But if you identify as like a maker or a designer, you're probably more of a creator in the creator star mechanic realm. And if you're someone who wants to start an e-commerce business because you want to scale it, you're probably going to be more on the steel realm, like a Lord or an accumulator, which probably is going to make you a lot stronger at the systems, but less strength at the creative parts of the business. Whereas like most of the people I mentor are really strong at the creative parts of the business, less strong at the systems part of the business. Like I would guess that you, I don't know for sure, are probably a mechanic, a Lord or an accumulator on that profile because you love systems and automation. Well, here's what's funny. Like I haven't done all of the tests, but I teeter a little bit in both, but I'm definitely stronger on the mechanical side. But what's interesting about my creative side, and this is why I was a fashion stylist, not a fashion designer, is I can't create from scratch, but I can see how it all comes together. It's very interesting. So mechanics, they're not good at starting things, but they're good at finishing things. And so they can improve things but they're not going to be the one who comes up with the idea. That's typically like a creator. Yeah. Over time, I think you can hone those skills, right? It's not that you can't do it. It just doesn't come quite as easily to you. (laughs) And I also think that all this stuff can be learned. And it's one thing that I really want to mention is like, we all have our natural inclinations and it's great to acknowledge those things and really understand it. When you are bootstrapping your business, you're going to have to be all things unfortunately, until you can afford to hire people. You're just going to have to. But the first thing that I always recommend is to start delegating out the parts of your business that aren't your strengths. I don't want to say dislike because sometimes like the things that you dislike, you might actually be good at and it's time consuming. So I'm always like delegate the parts of your business that are more of your weaknesses and the things that are the lowest leverage. Like I notice a lot of times that when people are approaching their day and like attacking their to-do list or whatever it is, they have a tendency to do the easiest things first instead of the hardest things. It's just a natural inclination, but all those easy things that you're checking off, you're only doing them because it makes you feel like you're making progress, but they aren't necessarily the most important things to do. So those are all the things that I would get off your plate first and like delegate to someone else, like all that administrative work that you could hire someone for like depending on where you're going to hire, like anywhere from five to 20 bucks an hour to do. Cause there's a whole like outsource population that could do digital marketing work and administrative tasks and stuff like that. You can hire out overseas, or if you're hiring here in the U S or Canada or somewhere on shore, like you could probably find someone for like 15 to $20 an hour to take on those things and get them off your plate. Yeah. And they're going to do them so much better and faster than you do that. <laughs> I'm like, get to the point where you can hire someone and your life will be easier. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. And then the trick is to like, make sure that you take the time to actually delegate it. Like I admittedly right now have a VA that I am not utilizing as well as I could be. And I have all of these hours. Luckily she rolls them over, but like I have all these hours building up. So doesn't matter how many businesses you've had, how successful you've been, like we all run into this in different seasons of our business. And so we just need to like take a step back, (laughs) figure out what's broken and focus on that and fix it. One of the things you've kind of touched on it here and you talked about it, it was really, I think like one of the first paragraphs in the book. And I think this is so important for those creatives is being the visionary in the business and how important that is. And I love your title because you are not a CEO. What's your title, Tracy? I'm the chief visionary officer of my company and I cannot wait to hire a CEO. I do not want to be a CEO. I can't stand dealing with the day-to-day of a business. It's the worst. And this title came about because we had a program when Robin and I started Flourish and Thrive Academy called multiply your profits. And this was all about the scaling desire piece of the desire brand effect. And it was a program that was life-changing for a lot of people. It was very hard to sell people on because systems are not sexy, but they are so necessary and important. So I was, when I was thinking through like the training about telling people how to get themselves out of their business, because a lot of times when you're just like in, in it, like in the weeds all the time, it's really hard to get into a place of seeing the big picture. And so 
they don't really resonate with CEO because I like asked some people in our community what they, and I was like, you know, what really resonates with me is being like the chief visionary officer because visionaries are creative and they also like see into the future. They're big picture thinkers. They are innovators and all that stuff like really aligned with me. So that's when I gave myself that title many, many years ago. And then we created in the beginning of the book, there's this whole chapter where I help you identify the difference between operating as a chief visionary officer and operating out of maker mindset, because different people call it different things, a life-changing book. And I referenced this in the desire brand effect that I read probably like 15 to 20 years ago now was called the E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. And a lot of people have heard of it, but the big takeaway that I had from that is that most people start a business because they're good at a skill, not because they necessarily want to be entrepreneurs. And unless they understand how to stop being the technician in their business and stop, there's a quote, I can't remember the exact words of it, but most business owners are basically technicians suffering from an entrepreneurial seizure or something like that. It's something along those <laughs> yeah, lines. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> a technician just means is like being a maker, the doer of all things in your business. And that's great to create your product. And I know a lot of people start a company because they want to do that. But if you really want a successful company, you have to be able to remove yourself from that so that you can work on your business instead of in your business. And the goal is to get you working on your business more than in the business. You're going to have to do both inevitably, probably for an ongoing period. Like my dream would be in like two years to only be the orchestrator of everything and just like saying, okay, like, here's where we're going. Like, what do you need from me? Just go do it. And like, I'm here to guide you. Like, I don't want to be doing any of that anymore. Yeah. And I think you kind of talk about, and it comes out of these pillars and really understanding what your goals are, where you're going who that customer is like, once you understand all of that and you've laid all of that foundation, and then you can hire out the things that you're not great at. Like once you get over that initial hump, that's when you get to really step back and be that visionary. And that I think too, is where you as the chief visionary officer or the CEO, whatever it is, you're going to call yourself that's when all the things you've been dreaming about actually come true is when you're able to step away. Like, yeah, it's cool in the beginning. Cause I remember this from my own business. Like the first day that I, I think I had to go to the doctor for something and I was able to go in the middle of the day and I didn't have to ask anyone that I think is when it hit me that I was like, yeah, I'm my own boss again. This is great but I'm still very much in the business because I'm still early in this. And it's a service-based business. I never really done this before. It's different guys. Product is easier, I think. So when you can kind of do all those things and you can delegate and you can become the visionary and really just focus on creating beautiful things that you love to create and that you want to show and share with the world, that's when you get to that place of true freedom. A hundred percent. You're so on it. So for you guys listening, and I know we have some makers out there and I know one of the hardest parts I think is actually delegating the making because you feel like if it's not you making, then it's not really made by you. And that's just not true. It's the most liberating thing when you can get to that place. Most people don't realize it until they do it. And I got really lucky that I realized this very early on in business because I was so attached to being the maker and the designer. Oh, I made it with my two hands and stuff like that. And I have my little studio in San Francisco that I was working out of on Columbus Avenue. And I got this huge order from a store. It was like a dream store. I think the order was like $4,000. And at that time, I think it was 1999, I got a $4,000 order. And at that time in my life, you know, I was in my late twenties, I was like, oh my gosh, like I just hit the jackpot. That was like more money than I like in one day, like had this order and they wanted it ASAP. I'm like, how am I going to be able to make this and get it to them ASAP? ASAP to me, was like in two days. I'm like, how am I going to get it done? That's when I was like, I really need to get someone to help me because my hands started hurting because I was making these really dainty things at the time and they were hard to hold on to. So I found a couple of like interns who could come in and help me with production. I taught them my process. I had three girls who worked for me. They rotated it out and eventually built the team up to about 13 people in San Francisco before I moved to New York. And they were all just art students who went to school at the local art college, California 
College of the Arts, and they had a jewelry program. And so they loved it because they got to work for me maybe for 10 hours a week or 20 hours a week and got on the job skill set of what it would be like to start a jewelry company. And three or five of them actually started their own businesses. Like one of them is still going strong. Her name is Vanessa Gade. And it's awesome like to see like those people grow because they learned from you. And so I really took that approach to it being like more, you know, I'm helping these people get it on the job skill set and training and I'm freeing my hands up. And then that also allows me to be more creative because I get to think about designing the new pieces and the new product lines and all the things that are fun instead of making like production work, which is not fun. Cause I talk to people all the time. They're like, want to have a one of a kind line because they're bored making the same thing over and over again. Well, this is a perfect example of why you should hire someone to make the pieces for you. Yeah. And I imagine it's really hard to scale one of a kind, unless you're charging like bajillions of dollars where you only need to sell a couple a year and like, you're good. <laughs> I moved into that model. You know, after I closed my business, I moved into that model and started designing fine jewelry and all of my work now is one of a kind. But if you have a couple of people buying a $5,000 ring or like $20,000 engagement ring or something like that, you don't need to sell that much product. Yeah. But you're also coming off of years and years of experience and know in the industry versus just like starting from scratch with that. So that makes a lot of sense. And now you're running other businesses too. So how much jewelry could you make? <laughs> all the businesses, writing a book, teaching other people, you're doing it all. Miss Rockstar over here. So you've had your own businesses. You work with so many jewelry makers. I had the pleasure of coming to speak to them as well, to teach them email. What an amazing group. So engaged. Love it. Out of all that you've seen, one of the things that I always like to do on the show is really be real and give the real behind the scene failure stuff. Cause I don't think we talk about this enough. So I would love to know maybe in your own business or things that you see people doing that you kind of think it's going to work and it totally flops. You got any failure stories? Oh, I got a bunch. You want a bunch of them? <laughs> Pick your favorite. Okay. Well, the first failure that I'll tell you is just really my own. I'd done all these things to grow a company and I was avoiding parts of my business that were hard to look at, like the financials. And I say the financials because I had been in business for about nine years and I kept investing money into the business. And so I was really focused at that point on revenue as opposed to profit. And I basically would spend all the profit for the most part and reinvest it back into the company or into trade shows or new events and stuff like that. And so when 2008 came around and the market started crashing and made this huge correction, I made a bunch of big mistakes, like taking on orders that weren't approved by my factor. Um, a factor is just like a company that finances your receivables for your business so that you have cash flow to create inventory. I was taking on orders that my factor didn't approve. I shipped like thirty dollars to $100,000 orders without factor approval, which is super risky, especially when the market starts crashing. And then I was basically completely leveraged because I had put all the cost of like financing those orders on credit cards or lines of credit and the lines of credit and everything were maxed out. And you know, you expect to get paid in like 30 to 60 days. And then the bankruptcy notices start coming in. And that creates this huge windfall of basically like, I'm effed <laughs> over and over and over again. I still had to pay my team. I had to pay my rent. I had to pay a lot of things. And I basically just like screwed myself over. And I didn't realizing I was screwing myself over but I could have identified further in advance that I was putting myself in jeopardy had I not been afraid to actually look at the real numbers. And I think that was a huge lesson at that point to be more aware of what my profit margins were and to constantly be auditing those things. And anytime I've been in business that, that I've let that kind of get out of control, like it always comes back to bite me in the ass. And I will be honest, like it's not my favorite part I love it. I love looking at the numbers. I love digging in. Like it's super fun for me because I make it a game, but it also causes a lot of anxiety for me. And so if anyone resonates with that, like, trust me, I get you. Like, and I've been an entrepreneur for 25 years. Like, this is why I have people on my team who will look at those things for me and say like, Hey, we got to pay attention to this, or 
we need to cut costs here, or we need to restructure here, or we can invest more money in marketing because we're doing great. Like there's a whole bunch of variables that when you like pay attention to that stuff, it really can make a huge difference. And so all of those things happen and created like a house of cards and like the perfect domino effect for this business just spiraling out. And so combine that with me having like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of inventory that wasn't sold and just sitting on it, not realizing that that was just like cash I could have in my bank account and a variety of other things kind of led me to make a decision like, okay, what am I going to do? Am I going to keep this business going or close it? And it was tough, but I decided to close it about a year later, fired like a bunch of people, which was heartbreaking. It made me want to cry because I had hired a new salesperson. And then like three months after I hired her, she quit like such a great job. Like she's working for like a huge corporation. She wanted to work in fashion and came to work for me. And it took her forever to find another job after that. I felt so bad. And like, there's so much guilt and anxiety with that because I'm like, you fucking suck. <gasps> Sorry, <laughs> I didn't mean to say it. No, yes, we are an explicit podcast. We are market explicit. Feel free to drop F-bombs. Like I had this internal story that I totally fucked and it took me a while to get over that. I had to really work on my mindset and my confidence after that because I just didn't feel like I was good enough to really be a business owner. Then once I kind of recovered from that and I actually got through the process of filing for bankruptcy, which was torture, it took many years I rebuilt and I learned so many lessons. I'd hired a consultant who helped me through this whole process and everything. I learned so many lessons that became invaluable. And in that process, you know, the desire brand effect process had really started back in that first company, but I didn't have a name for it until later and a real structure for it until later. But the good part about it is I really learned from those lessons and what to do and what not to do. And the next jewelry company I started was successful almost immediately. And it was a very short period of time before I'd made more money than I ever had personally in my career. Like 18 months after filing for bankruptcy, I'd made more money a month. Like I was taking home like 30 grand a month. I was like, um, all right, like that's okay. I'll take it. And I never experienced anything like that, but it was just about paying a little bit more attention. And I think the most important thing here was really aligning my business with what I wanted my lifestyle to be like. And I hadn't really thought about that before. And then that led to starting Flourish and Thrive Academy and all the other things. But I want to share another business failure from one of my students, because I think this is really powerful, especially for people who rely on third-party platforms for the majority of their sales. This is not... The only time this has happened to one of my students, it's been several students who this has happened to, but this one is the biggest one. So I'll mention this one. We worked with this jewelry brand that had built their business on Etsy and they were selling on some other platforms too. They also sold on their website, but they sold almost $500,000 a year on Etsy and they had maybe $50,000 a year on their website. And they were like, a hot mess on the inside. I think I got so triggered by this company because I'm like, this reminded me of sort of how I used to operate where it was like, focus on the sales, focus on the sales, focus on the numbers and not actually how much money they were making. So they were always broke. They were working their asses off to produce all these Etsy orders. And basically they were in like a race to the bottom because they had to keep lowering their prices to compete with their Etsy competitors. Then a hurricane hit in Houston, Hurricane Maria. And it flooded their studio. Their internet was out for two weeks. There was no power and all of their devices obviously died. They had no way of communicating with their Etsy customers. And overnight their Etsy store got closed. So their $500,000 a year business went to this small 50,000. And it was like, they had a team and employees and all this stuff. Then the husband who was making all the product had to basically go get a job and their business was taken out overnight. And so, and this has happened in a variety of ways. We had another Amazon seller who was trying to build her online business, kept focusing on Amazon. Like her core products got shut off because they said that the products weren't like whatever she said they were, which they were, but like, you know, you're in a fight with Amazon and you can't talk to anyone. You know, it's like fighting over email or through a customer ticket, <laughs> trying to get back up. And I just see people over and over again, like building a business on another platform that gives them zero control. So my big piece of advice there is to be smart about how you're building your business. You can use those third-party platforms as a way to generate revenue. And I think they're great, but you have to focus on having control over your customer, owning the customer information, 
getting people to buy on your website and incentivizing that and investing your marketing dollars on promoting your branded website or business or whatever it might be, not a third-party platform. Like it drives me crazy when someone has a website and then you click on their shop link and it takes you to Etsy. I'm like, why aren't you just taking that next step to set up the Shopify store? It's just laziness at that point. Oh my gosh. There's so many things that you just like mentioned in all these failures that I want to recap some of them. The first thing is really understanding the numbers. And it kind of leads into some of these other students that you're talking about as well. And something that I tell my people all of the time is to not look at what other businesses are doing, because for all you know, they are broke, right? It can look like they're making a ton of money and maybe they are, they might be making a ton of revenue, but they're not profitable in the back end. So this is something that I have this conversation all the time because it drives me crazy. And I get it that like numbers suck. They totally suck. Most people hate them. I don't mind them, but I think it's because I've worked in retail for like 30 years now that I've just always had to pay attention to them because I was responsible for them. But it's so, so important that you learn this, even as you remove yourself more and more from the business, like you still need to know the numbers. There's no way to get away from that when it's your business. And it's like your name signing the paychecks for your employees and stuff, right? (laughs) It's your name on the brand. Like you have to have to know the numbers. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. And when it comes to the third-party platform stuff, like my audience knows I'm all about growing your own website because it is the only thing you truly have control over. And like you said, use those platforms as another sales channel, but not the main sales channel. They can be great to support what you're doing from an all around sales perspective, but the goal is to own the customers. We're recording this, but a couple of weeks before Instagram and Facebook were just like offline for like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) We're like, shit, (laughs) like we're we're, like, can't reach my customers. I'm having a flash sale today. You know, so whatever you can do, like focus on getting those people to sign up for your email list or a text marketing list or some way to communicate with them outside of these other apps. Yeah. Okay. So on a more positive note, how about a biggest success, whether it's something you did with yourself or a strategy that you helped one of your students implement, what can we celebrate? I really want to celebrate Twyla. And here's the reason why. She's been working with us for a couple of years. And when she came to us in, I think, 2018 or 19, I can't remember, maybe end of 2018, early 2019, she had already had a pretty successful business. She was already had a six-figure company and was growing. She was doing everything herself and really wanted to get out of only being in person because she had to be at her Pike's Place market kiosk every single day to make sales. And so we helped her with that. Things were growing the second year or the next year in business after working with us, she had a double digit six figure marker. She did like over 200,000 and we were super excited for her. And then COVID hit and like half her revenue went away because the market went away. And so she had a rough year, but she stayed positive throughout the whole thing. She was just like, this is part of business. She wasn't freaked out about it. She still leaned in and being in our coaching program and moving forward She focused that time when things were a little bit slower on getting the customers from her social media to get on her email list, to buy from her online. She did all the online things that she could think of to promote her business. She did have a down year that next year. And then when things opened up this last year, she had built all these systems and all these automations and all the things that we talk about to really optimize in the scaling desire piece of the desire brand effect. She started documenting all the ways that she made jewelry and all the systems that she had for marketing. So her business started picking up a ton in 2021. And she was able to hire like two salespeople for her Pike's Place market. She was able to train them efficiently. She just told me she hired three people and went on vacation right after she hired them. (laughs) I love that. And the cool part about this is Twyla has been building systems in her business since we started working with her. And 
sadly, her mother passed away within three months of joining our coaching program. And she was able to take two months off. The one assistant that she had working for her then ran the business without her and her business actually increased in sales too. So there's a lot to be said about this when you do it right. But it doesn't mean that things aren't going to ebb and flow. But the reason why I want to share Twyla is because from the time she started with us to now, she's almost doubled her sales from that initial period. And she's having her best year ever. She's going to hopefully cross the high 200 range to $300,000 this year. I hope that's okay that I say that, Twyla. But I think we wrote about that in the book too. So I think it's okay. And she's just crushing it. And the reason being is because she took the time to do the legwork of doing the proper planning and creating the systems, developing the automations, streamlining things in her business, and then eventually having all the stuff that she needed documented so that it was easy for her to hire people when she was ready to get things off her plate. And that girl is rocking it. And the thing about her is like, she dropped out of high school. She just went to Turkey to learn the skill set, And she started a business really young. And this is to go show you like higher education and all these other things don't matter. It just takes the proper training and like understanding, like how does a business need to run? And like anyone can have a successful business. You don't need an MBA or all these qualifications. You just need to know how to actually work the pieces of the desire brand effect and keep them going together so that your business continues to grow over time. And so, yeah, people like will look at me like, oh yeah, well, you've been doing this for a long time, you know, whatever. But like, it really does work. And I wouldn't be mentoring people if I wasn't seeing results like that. Cause that's like really the whole reason why I do it. Well, yeah. And people wouldn't keep coming to you if your students weren't having success. <laughs> so That's awesome. And, you know, it's fun. You know, we have a couple of companies that we work with that are seven figure companies, which are great, but their needs are different. They just want like people to vent to and talk to you and help them optimize some things. But like really my favorite sweet spot is like working with people who are kind of like in the low six figure marker, help them get to multiple six and beyond. Cause that's where you get to see like a lot of big stuff happen. Yeah. It's definitely so magical. Like I always tell people working with clients and like seeing their eyes light up when I show them this way, they're missing revenue or the magic of email or whatever that is. Like that is the best, best thing. This is the best job I've ever had and I love it. So yeah, I'm definitely with you there. So before we kind of wrap up and you tell us where we can go get your book and all that, if you could give my audience one thing to take away from today's episode, something you want to make sure, like if they tuned out half of what we said, <laughs> the one thing they need to remember, what would that be? Okay. This is something I subtly mentioned and it was kind of a slid under the radar, but this is, I think one of the most valuable takeaways of anything that I teach and also in the book is the most important place to start is what matters most to you and what success looks like to you. Because it's really easy to get into this rat race of comparing yourself to other people and thinking like, oh, if I want to do this business, I have to do it this way or that way or whatever way. The thing that's amazing about the desire brand effect is there's a lot of flexibility in the model because you can, or in the system, you can cater it to whatever business you have. And the reason why I say this is because the first business that I ever built was a jewelry company and I got everything I wanted besides the business failure. That wasn't something I wanted, but like I got everything I wanted inside the business. Like I was a really well-known designer for a period of time and I had my name and lights. I was in all the stores. I did all the things. That is what I wanted. The thing I failed to define was what success looked like to me and what I wanted my personal life to look like. And so instead of designing a business that supported the life that I wanted, I designed a business that my lifestyle became a slave to in a way, or like a came like you hold into, and it was really hard. And I was super burnout, like a lot. So when I started my second jewelry company, the first thing I started with was what do I want my life to look like? And how much money do I want to take home? And then I said, okay, well, here's how I can make that happen. It's by doing X, Y, and Z. That's why I moved into a fine jewelry model because I knew I wasn't going to have to work so hard. I could outsource the labor to these amazing fine jewelers in the jewelry district in New York. I didn't have to have staff or overhead. I could keep my costs tight and right. And I got to do the things that I love the most in the business, which were designing and connecting with the customers and sales. And so I designed this business. It worked for me. It was great. It gave me so much flexibility. It allowed me to start another business which took a lot of work to get off the ground, Flourish and Thrive Academy. 
And I feel like had I not realized that that was the most important piece to it, like I wouldn't be here today talking to you. Oh my gosh. That's so important to talk about this stuff. And I always say like, none of us got into entrepreneurship to like create a job. No. So it's so important to figure out like, why are you chasing that neck? Cause I find a lot of people, it seems like they're trying to get to that next revenue number just because they feel like they need to keep up with maybe their peers or just to say that they've hit that number. And I always ask people, but do you want everything else that comes with a business that size? Are you sure? Maybe think about that a little bit first. And that's part of the reason with e-commerce badassery, I've been really intentional about growing slowly and only doing the things that really feel good and that I want to do, or I'll try something and I'm like, "Mm, I don't know if I really want to do this long-term. And then I pivot away and That's because I can serve my people best when I'm really doing the things that I love. You can design the most beautiful jewelry when that's all you have to do, right? And so it just creates a whole different world inside of your business. Oh my gosh, such good stuff. So Tracy, tell us, where can we get the book? Where else can we find you? Talk about all the things because you have so much value to bring to the community. Okay. So first and foremost, you can go to desiredbrandeffect.com and all the information about ordering the book is right there. It goes live on the Amazon newsstand on November 9th. We're doing pre-orders right now. So if you, if this podcast goes live before then you can order it in advance or just order it when you hear this, which is awesome. Like I worked really hard on this book. I've been told that it's really good. So I hope you enjoy it. It is. It's really awesome. And it says for jewelry brands, but it really is good for almost any business, especially if you're selling something like a physical product. Then I also have a podcast called Thrive by Design. Jessica's been on there. So you can go check out her episode, which is awesome. And then you can find me over at flourishthriveacademy.com and over on Instagram at Tracy Matthews NY and at flourish underscore thrive. Amazing. And I will put all of those links in the show notes, guys. So don't worry about trying to write that stuff down. Tracy, thank you so much again. I really appreciate you. Thank you to the audience for hanging out with us today. I know you could be anywhere on the internet. So I appreciate that you're spending your time with us and I'll see you on the flip side, friends. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you're looking to surround yourself with more product entrepreneurs who totally get your life right now, get your booty on over to the e-commerce badassery Facebook group. Can't wait to see you there. Until next time, e-commerce friends, stay badass.